0: For those of you who are here and don't know, my name is Ricky Ragone. I'm the music and arts and youth pastor here, and I'm allowed to preach anyway. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still here, so it's worked out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead dismiss the kids for a children's church. Don't want to forget that, because I do <clears throat> enjoy. And while they're making the way, while they're making their way back. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back to the right of the sound booth. We have blue ones, they have a little larger print. We have the white ones, they have smaller print. So if you like a real challenge, grab the white ones and follow along. Um, So that's, we're in chapter 29. Chris? Pastor Chris left off in chapter 27 and 28, and that's really right where our story picks up. Last week, Pastor Lou uh, did chapter 28, in which the narrator kind of takes this little aside from the story, fast-forwards in time a bit, to tell us about Saul's travels up to Endor. So, the events from chapter 27 and 29, they're not told chronologically, and uh, the best way for me to recap real quick is with a map, a little map recap. Um, so in chapter 27, we're down in the southern part of the Philistine region. The Philistines, uh, Philistia, is not a big region. Compared to Israel, it's quite small, but it was like Israel's big enemy, uh, like a mosquito trying to bite me. Uh, it's not probably going to do much to me, but it's going to bother me a lot. Um, So that's a small little country of Philistia. They're down in Gath. David's made his way down, following his own desires, going his own way. And he comes across his friend, friend, comes across Achish, um, who he deceives into being his friend, really. Um, He stays with him for a little while in Gath, which you see there, but then makes his way down to Ziklag, where he's given that region. And while he's down there, he he goes through, makes raids on a bunch of uh, towns that would have been Philistine allies. Uh, tells Achish that what he really did, he tells him that he went to Judah and took out some of their towns, therefore gaining Achish's trust. And by the time we get to the beginning of chapter 28, um, he's been there for 16 months. And Achish is like, hey, be my bodyguard. Um, and David's like, I could be your bodyguard. Um <laughs> So that's chapter 27, and then chapter 28, again, fast forward in time, so we go from the bottom part of the map to all of a sudden, here we are at the top part of the map, uh, and there's obviously a gap in the middle. So this is where we were. The Philistines were um, up in the town of the area of Shunem, which is that left dot. The Israelites were in Gilboa, which is that triangle, mountain, um, And Saul's scared. The Philistines are are breathing down his neck. He's not hearing from God because one, Samuel is dead and two, he killed pretty much all the priests. So uh, his efforts are void in trying to hear the voice of God. And in fear and worry, he decides to go to Endor. He seeks out a medium there and that's the uppermost dot which is closer to the Philistines um, and leaves his men in Gilboa. And when he's up there, he's seeking something to give him an advantage. And Samuel's resurrected by this medium. And Samuel tells Saul what he already should have known the battle's lost. The Lord has rejected Saul. And Samuel tells him that tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be your last day here. Sorry, Saul. You're going to come join me in death. So that's kind of where we left off in chapter 28 and now we're going to come back to the normal timeline of how things were conspiring in chapter 29 down in Aphek which is where we're told in the beginning we're just going to read in a moment here where the Philistines are gathering and Israel is up in Jezreel up top just south of Shunem so they haven't moved into Gilboa yet so that's kind of where we're at this morning just to give you for me understanding how that moves is helpful to understanding where the story is taking place. Before we go any further, let's read our story together. Chapter 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called to David, said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lords do not approve of you, so go back now, go peaceably, that you may not displease the Lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord and king? And Achish answered David and said, I know you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of the Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. The Lord added a blessing to the reading of his word. This morning what I want to do is look at these 11 verses, under three, three parts. A foolproof plan, foiled by command, and a final farewell. And what we'll see in this story is that God is at work in achieving his purposes even when we don't explicitly see it. This is actually, truly, it's a story of God's grace to David. I think we'll see that by the time we're finished. And it all starts with Achish bringing a foolproof plan for victory to the commanders. So the scene has been set. If this were, if this were a movie, you know, we're like on the eve of battle. These, the, the Philistines are marching in. You'd probably have some kind of an epic background score. You'd hear the footprints. It'd be a little darker in color because these are the bad guys. Like the, the orcs marching out of Mordor or something like that. That's, that's the scene I, I have in, in my mind. And the Philistines are coming up hundreds, thousands. They're being led by their lords. Now who those lords were, just so you know, they were the rulers of the five major Philistine cities. Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, and of course Gath, where Achish is the Lord. And these lords are leading their men. They're marching north, going to Aphek, that we saw. And the commanders noticed something out of place. Now the commanders are different than the lords. The commanders are the military types. They're the the generals. They're the ones strategizing. They're the guys who play risk for fun on their spare time. Like Kramer and Newman in one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. Where they actually carry the board from place to place. Coming up the rear is the Philistine army led by Achish. And he's accompanied by David and his men. Achish is trying to pull off Operation Hebrew forces. Because what's going to be the greatest strategic move against Israel bringing in Israel's best fighter, David, and his men. They've been able to, David and his men, they've been able to avoid or, or sneak up on Israel multiple times now. So if anyone knew a way to victory against Israel, it's David and his men. But this foolproof plan that Achish has puts David in a kind of a tight spot. Achish, of course, doesn't realize that because he believes that David's got his back, but he's putting David in a bad spot because if David goes with him, now remember we don't fully know David's motives here, if David goes with with Achish up to battle with the Philistines and fights alongside the Philistines, his... his all of his aspirations of being king of Israel are gone because he's now fighting against Israel. He's now fighting his own people. Up, up to this point, he's never gone on the offensive against Saul and Israel. He, he's avoided them, he's run from them. The closest we get is when he sneaks up on Saul in the cave while Saul's doing some business and cuts the robe. It's the most offensive he gets. David has never fought his own people intentionally. If he does, that's a real problem. So he has that. If he fights alongside of them, there's that happening. The second predicament is if he goes in the battle and he turns on the Philistines, well, he's got all his family, his men's family, they're down in Ziklag, the southernmost part of Philistia. If the jig's up with Achish, who knows what happens to them down there. So David is in a bit of a catch-22 at this point. Oftentimes in life, when we get in too deep and following our own path rooted in um, desperation, we, we fail to see the end result until it's too late. And you're all of a sudden just in like, how did I get here? How am I left with these choices? Making decisions and choices in desperation typically are not thought out. And that's what we see here with David. David. He's been down here for the last 16 months. If you've ever seen the, the show Breaking Bad, if you're an adult here and you've seen the show Breaking Bad, <laughs> this is a theme that runs throughout the totality of this, this show. A, a, a family man, a chemistry teacher, diagnosed with severe lung cancer. Um, he's worried and he's desperate to ensure that his family has money should he go. So instead of maybe getting a second job or, or something of that nature, well, he does technically get a second job, um, he uses his chemistry knowledge to become a massive drug producer. This is Walter White's foolproof plan. And what the show reveals, I'm not spoiling anything in this, what the show reveals is how he fails to see how this decision could lead to many moral and ethical quandaries which wears away at his character. The very family he's trying to provide for, he could lose entirely if he's caught. Decisions made in desperation are often not thought all the way through. The very nation that David is awaiting to be king could lose if he fights against them. And unfortunately for Akish, when he comes through with David and his men thinking, I've got the best tool possible, probably pretty proud of himself, the commanders say, what are these Hebrews doing here? A question that clearly insinuates that the Hebrew delta force was not welcome there. They're out of place. But a well-deceived Akish tells them how David has jumped ship He says, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I find no fault in him to this day. Akish is 100% he's convinced. David has jumped from the Mets to the Phillies. Yes, Philistines are the Phillies. One, because my wife is not here today so I can get away with this until she listens to the sermon online. And two... As far as sports teams go, which one sounds the most like Philistines? The Phillies. Let that inform your sports-rooting decisions. <laughs> anyway, so, so Akish has whole, is wholeheartedly convinced David's on my side. Akish has been a product of David's deception for 16 months, and he feels as though he's proven his loyalty. After all, David took out all those inhabitants of Judah. That's what he told me. Wink. He says, I personally find no fault in him. He should fight with us. What could possibly go wrong? I I think that Akish is one of those guys who really believes like he is just super smart. But in reality, he'll just believe anything. And everybody knows it but him. Everyone realizes it but him. Because this is the same guy who believed that just because David spit all over himself and drew on the walls a little bit, that he was insane. He said, get this guy out of here. This is the man vouching for David's character. And shocker, the commanders weren't buying what he was selling. His plan is foiled. Verse four, but the commanders of the Philistines, they were angry with him. Why would you bring these people up here? They said, send the man back that he may return to the place with which you have assigned him. He shall not go with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? They're referring to Saul. Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is the commander basically telling Akish, like, like Biff Tannen, "Hello, McFly. Do you get it? The guy literally cut the head off of your greatest warrior, Goliath, who was from your city, and you're bringing him here. He's going to cut our heads off. No, he's not coming with us. With the exception of Akish, everyone else remembers David's reputation." The commanders were military strategists. They knew what a good decision versus a bad decision was. What was well thought out, what was risky. Akish is more the what have you done for me lately kind of person. And he's liking David because to what he can see, David's been pretty good to him. Why not go into battle? The commanders are more like, ah, you burn me once, you're done. Which is a much better attitude to have when going into battle. Not getting a second chance. Really, it's, they've dealt with this before. Back in chapter 14, Jonathan goes up with his armor bearer, takes out the Philistines, and then it says that the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, they turned to be with the Israelites. These commanders have seen it before. The Hebrews are on their side till something better comes along, and boop, they're back, back on Team Israel. The commander's... Remember, They have a long memory. And not for nothing, even if the Hebrew people, they, if they had never burned the Philistines before, the Philistines are still right to not take David into battle with them. That's just wisdom. We, we can actually learn wisdom from Philistines. Crazy. Broken clock is right twice a day. In 2 Corinthians, we're, we're called... Don't yoke yourself with unbelievers. That, that, that is, that we should not be in, in, in binding covenants, in, in partnerships that are binding like business or marital covenants and so forth with those of different mindsets, of different faith, of disbelief. In a business example, if my highest priority as a believer is that I want to love God and love people above all else and I want my business to run to the glory of God, I'm going to run that business differently than an unbeliever who says, my, my highest priority is Boku bucks and I don't care what I do to the people to get it. I'm getting rich. Yeah, let's partner together. Business is not going to go so well. Different priorities. To yoke ourselves together with these people, we're going to be pulling two different ways. Apply that to going to battle if you're the Philistines. Now we're back, going back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, but apply it to what they were thinking. You're literally fighting for your life. Would you want the men next to you to not be on the same page? Definitely not. You want them on the same page. You want to know the guy next to you has your back. He even says it. This is their victory song. Achish, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. We're not bringing them into battle. An important distinction I just want to make in uh, this principle uh, of being yoked is that that doesn't rule out living on mission because being in friendships and being in relationships with people is different than being in covenant with people. So I'm not calling us to avoid or retreat and, and go into our own little bubble or a vacuum. We need to be in relationships with non believers and people who believe differently. That's how we engage with the gospel. But there's a difference between friendship and covenant. For those of you who are here who are covenant members, you've sat in a meeting with the pastor or elders, and pretty much how that meeting goes is, let's hear your testimony. Let's hear your story. And, and, and we're just affirming that we're on the same page as far as the gospel goes. Because we cannot be in covenant membership if we're believing two different gospels. Or if you believe no gospel at all, you don't believe in Christ at all, we can't be in covenant membership. You know, that, that's, the, that's the principle. Now, as it comes to attending and coming, all are welcome. We want people to come and hear the gospel, to, to worship with us. But as when it comes to Covenant relationship and fighting the good fight of faith on the same side in that covenant membership, we have to be cautious about that, right? So, we want people to know and love Jesus and come and hear the gospel and understand Christ's redeeming love. But it doesn't mean we yoke ourselves together. The Philistines are going in for a fight for their lives against their biggest enemy. And the commanders aren't going to risk having their heads lopped off and handed to Saul on a platter just to take some risk on Achish's word. And now, unfortunately for Achish, he's got to break this news to David and a final farewell. So Achish, is, is, he's living in this blissful ignorance that David, his true, uh, he's living in blissful ignorance that David's true colors it's his newly appointed bodyguard so Akish calls out to david and he says as the lord lives which is really a peculiar phrase for a polytheist to say as he has he actually you see all caps lord that means what was said was the name of david's god the god of israel as one who worshiped multiple gods he swears to david in the name of david's god we're like, oh, well, maybe he repented of his polytheism and is following God. Probably not. He was being respectful to David. He was talking in a way that would make sense to David. If he randomly swore to one of his many gods, what would that mean to David as far as the word he's giving him? So he's showing David sincerity here and saying, as the Lord lives. He's also showing David a respect because Though he thinks there's some kind of like real good friendship here, he still has to have some kind of a fear of David. He's, he's turning him away. This is the guy who has killed tens of thousands of them. So he's coming to him with respect. And he continues, he says, The Lord lives. You have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out with me in this campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me till this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's, they don't approve of you. So go back now. Go peaceably that you do not displease the lords of the Philistines. This is the ancient Philistine way of saying, listen, it's not you, it's us. David, you're great. You're fantastic. But it's us. As a reader, we kind of know this whole interaction is a little humorous. Because the man who has completely and utterly been deceived is calling David honest. He's basing his whole argument of why David's fit for this on his honesty. This is the guy he wants by him in battle. You just have to chuckle a little bit. This whole defense built on, on David being 100% forthright with him. David and his men just have to be probably a little like this as they're listening to, to Achish Say this. That's Akish. David. (laughs) Serious. (laughs) So, despite Akish's clear trust and real admiration for David, he has to turn him away. And essentially, he tells him this decision. Look, it's above my pay grade, David. If I had my choice, I would have kept you. But the other lords, mm, they don't approve of you. Who am I to argue with my fellow leaders? So please, go. Get out of here. Go peacefully. Don't, let's not ruffle any feathers. And David responds like this. He's, David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord and King? If David had a catchphrase in this book, it would be, what have I done? We see it all over the place. When he, when he meets up with Israel to see all this commotion with Goliath, his brothers giving him the business of not being with the sheep, and he says, well, what have I done? In chapter twenty, he's fleeing from Saul, and he comes to Jonathan. And he's like, "What have I done? What is my guilt?" And now the Philistines are putting the kibosh on him, and he says, "What have I done?" Seriously, if he had a book, it would be called "What Have I Done?" The David from Bethlehem story. And in this instant, instance, David's little "What Have I Done?" isn't you know, isn't exactly the most "What Have I Done?" because what has he done? He has lied his pants off to Achish. So David reinforces his defense of his character. And he adds this little phrase at the end. What have I done? Haven't I been good up to this point? That I may go, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my Lord and King. What have I done that I can't go fight the enemies of my Lord and King? What is he saying? Who is David talking about? Remember, we, don't, we, we have the, the full story here, but we, as this is going on, we don't have David's full thought process. Is he calling Achish his lord and king here, continuing the deception? Is he referring to maybe Saul as his lord and king, but he's saying it like right to Achish's face, like, you're going to think this is you. Is he referring to God as his lord and his king? We simply don't know his thought process, but given his track record of not fighting his own people, and definitively deceiving Achish and the Philistines, it's my personal leaning that he wanted to go to this battle so that he could flip and take on the Philistines. The Philistine commanders had it right when it came to not letting David come and fight with them. Why can't I come? What have I done? And Achish is like, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. Listen, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. That was sweet. (laughs) Angel, which means like messenger or representative of God. says, I know you're as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning. Depart as soon as you have light. It clearly pains him to see David go. He's an angel of God. An angel will cut your head off when he gets the chance. He has the most utmost respect for David. But it's only superseded by his respect for the commander's. And if you see what Akish what did here, he started off with saying, listen, the lords don't approve of you. That's why you can't go up. The lords don't approve of you. Remember, the lords were the rulers of those cities. They don't approve. And David pushes a little bit, but what have I done? And now he's like, well, actually the commanders, they said, you're not coming up with us. And, you know, the buck stops with the commanders. So you got to go. And really, please go as soon as there's light. Get out of here. Go peacefully. Don't wait around. Get going early. And respectfully, what we see David do is he goes back down to his region in Philistia. And the Philistines head north to Jezreel. And that's where we're left in chapter 29. I'm sure you've possibly heard the phrase before. And people say, oh, the devil's in the details. Well, I think the clear message of this story is the divine is in the details. Because with the exception of a couple remarks from Akish, God is, for the most part, absent within this story. David's not calling out to the Lord. God's not sending word to David. David's making his own decisions. He's following his heart, just like he did in chapter 27. But where we see God at work here is in the people, in the interactions themselves, In the details, David has built up this elaborate con for 16 months. He won over the trust of one of the five lords of the Philistines. Granted, as far as five lords of the Philistines go, he probably grabbed the lowest hanging fruit there, but he won him over. He had him on his side. And he gets all the way to Aphek only for him to just be, "Ah, that's it, you're done. Go back down where you were going. But the good thing in his rejection is that now his whole situation, this catch 22, like if I do this, I have one of two outcomes. If I turn, my family's in jeopardy. If I don't turn and I fight against Israel, my kingship's in jeopardy. That's all gone. The decision's been made for him. What luck! Not luck. Not luck has nothing to do with luck. We know God has had his plan, and God has said from the beginning, he will be the king over Israel. There's no luck here whatsoever. And God has made it very clear to Saul in the last chapter that the Philistines were never going to win, or never going to lose this battle. Israel was going to lose, Saul was going to lose his life. God didn't have a plan that consisted of David going in, marching with the Philistines, then all of a sudden, gotcha, and started slicing and dicing. That plan was never going to happen because God was in control. God's plan was that Saul would be defeated, the Philistines would be victorious, and David would be completely removed from that conflict. It's not coincidence, it's providence. It's sovereignty. It's God at work in achieving his purposes even when we don't see it. God doesn't need to broadcast his works like an obnoxious TV commercial. It doesn't need to be huge. God is often at work in the background putting the pieces together. And we don't even notice it until we just step back and take a look and see it. If I, if I was to have a timeline of my life as back as far as I can remember, looking back, I can see the, the little dots on it. I go, oh, yeah, this event happened, and at the time, that was really rough, um, but if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gotten here, and I wouldn't be here where I am today. Oh, in this event, well, if I didn't have this event, they, they all they lead to a certain point, and you just have to say, God, you orchestrated this. I spent my last two years, maybe even two and a half years of in college with my eye on one youth pastor position. And all my projects, everything I did, uh, and all my classes was going towards this job. This was my, my foolproof plan. And I came home, I was done with school, I interviewed for the job, it was looking good. Literally I was filling out paperwork for getting it, when it was like, oh nope, taken away, you're not getting it, and boy did that sting. I've been focused on this. This was my plan, and I'm roadblocked. Nope, not not gonna not gonna come and do this job. And and it was rough because I I didn't I didn't know where else I was going to potentially do ministry. Obviously, I knew there were other churches besides that one, but I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to look, so I just kind of went with the flow. And then that same summer, towards the end of it, I got a call from a friend of mine saying, hey, I don't know what you're up to these days, but they're looking for an additional pastor over at a church called King's Chapel. And yada, 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 here I am today. What I viewed at one point as a crazy disappointment, I look back and, and praise God. And, and I, as I look back and, and I see where I could have been serving, God saved me from what would be an impossible mini, ministry situation that probably would have left me very discouraged. But here. I've been at a place where I could grow as a person, where I could grow as a pastor, where I could grow as a husband, and crazy as it is, as a dad. Which is still, like, I cannot believe there's a child under my care. Like, I know I do youth ministry, but those are your kids. (laughs) This is my kid. That's crazy. But I can be at a place of encouragement and, and help along the way. God has brought me here. And I see him not because he said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to happen. You're going to end up here. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just go with the flow. No, he used these different events that, that tested me and tried me and brought me here. He was at work in achieving his purposes even when I didn't see it. God is at work achieving his purposes. We see it in chapter 28. We see in chapter 29, 28, God is achieving his purposes in his rejection of Saul. God is achieving his purposes in chapter 29 as David is rejected by the Philistines. David is rejected by his enemy so he can eventually accept his God-given kingship. But Saul is rejected by God because he never accepted that his kingship was given by God and is taken away by God, for that matter. Both serve as an example to show us that no, no matter how much we try to carve out our own path, to go with our own schemes and plans, God has the ultimate plan, the perfect plan. And he's at work in achieving it, even when we don't see it. Sometimes we view rejection exclusively as a bad thing. Sometimes it's the best thing. The foundation of our faith is built upon a Savior who was rejected. David left his home in Israel and went down to the land of the Philistines. Jesus left his throne in heaven and came down and took the form of a man on earth. When David was defended by Achish, Achish stood there to the commanders that were rejecting him and he said, I find no fault in him. As Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate told the Pharisees who were rejecting him, I find no fault in him. David was rejected so that he could ultimately be exalted as Israel's king. And Jesus was rejected and sentenced to death on a cross so that the world would see that he was the true king of kings. Acts 4, 11 to 12 said, this Jesus... Is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven giving among men by which we must be saved. This story in chapter 29 is a story of God's grace. It's God's grace to David that he's rejected. And we are here this morning as recipients of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was rejected. The Word became flesh it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. While we were going our own way, while we were walking our own path, God was at work in the details, drawing us to himself, achieving his purposes in our lives and we didn't even see it coming. Calling to us through his spirit, richly lavishing his grace upon us in Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, David owes his preservation in this circumstance, his salvation in this circumstance to God. The same way our salvation belongs to God and God alone. At the end of the day, we're left able to just say, which is what we're about to sing, we just say, all I have is Christ. It's nothing that I've done, but it's all what Jesus has done. All I have is Christ. Is that your cry this morning? Have you been like David trying to save yourself, neglecting the consequences of decisions made out of desperation, out of fear? Have you put your faith and trust in the king of kings? Or are you putting your faith and trust in yourself and your own savviness? Make today the day where you surrender your foolproof plans to come to know and follow Christ. Christ. The stone that was rejected by the builders but who has become the cornerstone. There's no name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. There's no other path that leads to salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Have you seen God at work in the details of your life as He's drawing you to Him? Put your faith and trust in Him this morning. Maybe you're here, you've been a follower of Christ. But like David, in a fearful and desperate time of your life, you've pushed away. You've delved into regions that are far below where you know you should be, in enemy territory. Confess, repent. That's a gift we get, to be able to come before the God of the universe and say, here's my sin before you. Forgive me. And in Christ, we receive that. And then we rejoice. Rejoice in God's forgiveness and his grace this morning. We're gonna celebrate it as a family. And remember that God is at work achieving his purposes even when we don't see it. We need to trust in his sovereignty, in his providence, and in his grace. Let's pray together. Father, We praise you this morning. We thank you for your hand actively at work in our lives. For those attributes that you have that we can truly trust. Your sovereignty, your steadfastness, your graciousness, your merciful dealings with us. You're you're just, Lord. We would ask that this morning you would use this this story of David's rejection of to teach us to rely on you and you alone. That we would see your handiwork in the details of our lives. That we would get out of the way. That we would lean on you. That our confidence would not be in any of our own doing, but all in what Christ has done. Spirit, we ask that you would draw us near. That you would strengthen our faith this morning. That you would give us the joy of your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.